welcome to episode 220 of the 1099. With me today on the show is Patrick Ewing, creative director over at Chance Agency, who, by the time you're listening to this, have just released NeoCab on PC, Switch, and Apple Arcade. Patrick, uh, congrats on finally reaching your destination, man. Did you keep your five-star rating? Thanks, man. I mean, uh, we're at 4.3 right now uh, on various platforms, so uh, I'll take it. (laughs) Uh, It is like the irony is definitely not lost on me that a a game about being a cab driver has got me obsessing over my five-star rating. I guess at least on on Uber or Lyft, you can't necessarily get review bombed by anyone other than the people you actually drove. So. That's true. So you actually have to be in the car and face someone to uh, to review bomb them in a in an exactly. Uber. Yeah. Steam would be a very different creature if people had to uh, face the developers that they review bomb. So, <laughs> so I, I I've been able to play a fair amount of NeoCab. Um, I'm on like the the sixth day of I I'm not entirely sure how many days are in the game, but uh, but I guess before we dive into all of the the various things I really want to kind of pick your brain about. Uh, what what is NeoCab, and what's what's kind of the elevator pitch to get people interested? Yeah, so uh, NeoCab is a narrative adventure game. It's about being the last human driver in the world, overcome by automation. So um, picture kind of a, you know Black Mirror um, near future city. You're one of the last uh, drivers still working uh, the like app gig rideshare circuit when automation has taken over and all all control of the streets has been centralized into in into one large tech company um and you are searching for your missing friend while picking up kind of lost souls and and near future weirdos and um learning their stories trying to figure them out trying to keep your rating high enough to uh avoid getting terminated and um and kind of unfolding their stories, following your interests uh, and uh, and learning about the city and about the future. And, you know, it it is a game that really speaks to pe- people like me, I think. I, I moved from the South Chicago area to L.A. Um, a, a few months ago, and I've been to the Bay Area a million times. Um, my, my partner lives there, too, and... Uh, it is inescapable this gig economy, right? Uh, no, ma- no matter what major metropolitan area you go to, and sometimes even outside of those major areas, uh, people are working more and more in uh, the gig economy, f- for better or worse. And it honestly kind of seems like more worse sometimes. Uh, I-, I pulled up a couple of like random facts that I could up here. Fifty-seven million people uh, in the United States are part of the gig economy. Uh, 36% of U.S. workers, and that means 24% of full-time workers have some sort of side gig. Uh, I know the dad of the family that my partner lives with, he he used to do like tech support stuff for Levi Jeans Company, uh, but he would drive his Uber on the side. And then 49% of all part-time workers uh, work in the gig economy, which uh, on its face makes a lot of sense. If you part-time, you need to fill in those hours somehow else. So uh, I I guess I kind of want to start with uh, you are based in the San Francisco Bay. Have you always lived there or did you move there for work or what's that story? Yep. So I'm from New York City originally. um, And then I moved out here for work uh, almost 10 years ago. Uh, 10 years ago this oh, wow. year and uh and it was yeah it was it was as part of like a the tech boom that you know when it was really starting up the financial collapse had happened in new york and sort of publishing and everything was gutted here and i was a uh, i was a programmer working for mm-hmm. a site called flavor pill which was like a news and events like you know hip things to do this weekend sort of site and it like was everything was like crashing down and people were getting laid off and meanwhile san francisco seemed like people were even unaware that a recession was going on because it's this own it's it really is its own little bubble of investment speculation hype um really really talented people as well building some really cool things but also like i mean the the it's almost hard to satirize sometimes because of how weird it is compared to other parts of the country. So um, yeah, I moved I moved here to the Mission District and I've been here ten years. Um, most of which was I, most of which I spent at Twitter, 
uh, as an engineer. I was going to ask that that that's a very special uh, kind of place to see the the last decade of uh, gig culture and and tech culture arise from the seat of Twitter. Definitely. Tell me yeah. about that. Well, I mean, what to say? I mean, Twitter was really like three different companies when I worked there. When I when I joined, it was like less than a hundred people, and everyone was just sort of really fun, nice, goofy folks who didn't really understand the full depth of uh, what we built <laughs> um <laughs> and uh and then it kind of yeah it ballooned out into like a bigger and bigger company with more and more um uh need for like trust and safety and and uh like government oversight and like i mean it, it's like i could just spend a whole podcast talking about that experience and what i what i learned there and and like the kind of healthy skepticism, I think it made me feel for large tech companies because they present a real sort of facade of knowing exactly what they're doing and being run by adults. But I know for a fact, you know, not just from Twitter, but also from like friends who've worked at Facebook or Lyft or Uber, um, they're really flying by the seat of their pants in most in most cases, um, and building things as, as they like fall off the cliff, you know, they're like building the building the helicopter on the way down in a lot of cases. Um, so especially when Uber started, um, Uber felt like a really different animal when it arrived on the scene. Uh, we actually, everyone at Twitter, every employee got like free Uber rides for the first year or something. Um, oh, wow. yeah, just as a promotional thing they did. And, um, and that's when it was like a black car elite service. Um, and Lyft was like the scrappy competitor with the pink mustache that was doing like rideshare stuff, you know? Mm. Um, and, and I had friends who were Lyft drivers. Um, and I, I started like having really great experiences with Lyft drivers. This is back when you'd like, you jump in front and it was such a different time. Like you, you were supposed to sort of jump in the front and treat it as a ride with a friend. And you were um, also Lyft drivers were keeping 100% of the money they made. It was another one of these classic, like, get try to get market share through like a business practice you'll eventually back off from. I was going to say like that, that, that year long deal with Uber, that, that sounds so much like, um, like a, a movie pass or, or so many other kind of startup things where it's like they're, they're doing the Amazon thing of taking a loss early on. Right. So they can dominate the market share later. Exactly. Right. And they both start competing with each other on this stuff, as well as like, how can we open up a local Uber office in every single like city on the war in the globe, like in, yeah. within as short of time as possible. And, um, and yeah, Lyft and Uber kind of ended up converging and feeling like basically the same service and almost every driver is driving for both. And, um, uh, anyway, I feel like I'm, I might be rambling here, but it, it was a, it was definitely an interesting, uh, perch or like perspective to see this company come out of the blue and completely disrupt the taxi industry, um, drive wages like way, way down. Um, not that the taxi industry wasn't like super corrupt and bad for drivers also. <laughs> it definitely was. Um, but um, this sort of like, I think it was a lot of it what made me want to make this game at this time was, was really like the way Uber in particular treated journalists and treated employees and um it really did feel like they were this um burgeoning big bad like this like classic cyberpunk megacorp in the in the making like it was like they were they were aspiring to become the cyberpunk megacorp that uh, that controls the city streets spies on uh their competitors spies on their customers mm -hmm. um you know like it that was like very clearly like this is our plan so um it felt like that was ripe for uh, a story. You know, and it's funny you mentioned all that too, the the <laughs> gradual emergence of these companies into superpowers. Uh, Facebook just today, um, uh, what's his face? Zuckerberg uh, was just giving an interview about um, his, his feelings about Elizabeth Warren's presidential campaign. And she, she as a candidate has obviously been like very anti-monopoly, um, very critical of monopolies like Facebook and, and the, the harm that they can do in the, the broader social space, of course, when it comes to, you know, the proliferation of fake news and propaganda and then, uh, uh, harassment online and whatnot. Uh, he he said that he's going to fight against that and he's going to fight against Warren. And it's like, well, shit, 
here's a guy with who who his service is where like something like 30 40 percent of americans get their news content um and and of course i have feelings about that working even in games media i have feelings about that uh and and seeing my parents um congrats on not getting pivoted to video by the way yeah <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, it turns out even pivot to video was a, a bunch of bullshit. Uh, uh, a lot. Uh, and what's the um, comm score is a bunch of bullshit. Uh, so yeah, seeing seeing my parents um, kind of succumb to the Facebook beast when it comes to news. My, my, I told the story before my father, you know, got me into journalism because he would always like bring home newspapers and whatnot. And now it's Facebook. So it's like, oh, shit. But uh, it is really fascinating to hear you kind of chart some of those early uh, months and year of of the Uber economy uh, and and what they were doing to to really solidify their foothold because yeah it is it is one of those things of like at an airport you see uh, there's still a taxi line but it's like four cars deep instead of like you know 30 Ubers waiting for a ride. And I, I stupidly took a cab ride from uh, San Francisco, or no, from, yeah, I think from, no, no from Oakland Airport to my partner's uh, place. Uh, really only like a 20, 30 minute drive, but it ended up being like a $100 charge. And I'm just like, oh, okay, I, I don't know the mathematics. Maybe that is what I should be paying for something like that, but uh, we've been retrained in so many ways. So have you yourself ever uh, worked in the gig economy or have you most mostly been relatively stable working a like desk job? So uh, when I, I mean, when I was in college, I worked in retail, um, which is sure. you know, obviously before the, before the gig economy worked. Um, but that was definitely like uh, a perspective on term. Like I was, a, I was like a, a salesman at a, like a off-brand computer store. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I like, you know, so like, I, I remember working for margins and I remember all those sort of like tricks you do to like maximize that against other sales people and, and against like, um, customers really like that sort of relationship. Um, but of course the gig economy didn't exist then. Um, while working on Neocab, I did, um, do some Uber rides for research just to make sure that I had a sense of like, how does the app work? How does this feel to be cruising the city? Um, what is the relationship with different passengers and what sort of different people get in. And that, that was super interesting and instructive. Um, but I would say like most of what I learned is actually from talking to real drivers because, you know, it's like that song, common people, like, it, like, like I was a tourist as an Uber driver, like, cause mm. I could stop and go back to like being a game dev. Um, whereas like real drivers you talk to who are like doing this full time, are sleeping in their car, peeing in bottles. Uh, in some cases, you can get them to admit to it. They're, you know, um, they're 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 like constantly gaming the system, crisscrossing the city to reach the next like surge zone, and um, and living on like very razor thin margins without any, you know, insurance, uh, job security, etc. So, um, I would say like dr talking to real drivers is where I learned. Um, I learned a, a lot, although I'm very thankful for the experience of being a driver as well. Is that something that you just kind of accrued over time or did you like deliberately go out and say, I really want to learn more about uh, what it's like to be an Uber driver? At the very, at the beginning, it was like a very conscious thing. So um, we, we also didn't know at the very beginning of Neocab, like how much of the gig economy are we going to explore? So we talked mm -hmm. to Uber and Lyft drivers in a formal way. Like we, we went through a friend network basically because in San Francisco, like everybody know somebody who's done it um mm -hmm. and uh but then we also talked to like postmates delivery people uh because we thought maybe we want to do a delivery like a food delivery mechanic in a game you know that sort of thing um mm -hmm. uh we uh talked to like yeah like on-demand caterers and stuff um so yeah and we immediately started getting the wildest stories uh drug deals going on in the back seat of a cab um like a three burners trying to you know who are all on like mdma trying to seduce the driver um to become a foursome with them um like you know just like you name it like the, the whole story of how police um harass drivers um just for you know trying to like do their job 
in a city, you know, in a place where there are no legal pickup zones. And we, mm -hmm. we immediately got like more stories than we could possibly uh, fit. And it really, it does kind of come across as perfect fodder for uh, a, a like narrative uh, choose your own adventure style game, right? Where, yeah, what a gig economy worker is forced to make a lot of decisions of like, well, do I go with Lyft? Do I go with Uber? Where do I position myself? Uh, can I stand one more ride even though I'm tired? Or like, can I swing into this like McDonald's and use their bathroom or is it locked? Uh, that's, that that perhaps is maybe one of the saddest things I I, I ever learned about the gig economy is, and, and now that I live in LA, I, I am getting a, a much uh, more up in my face kind of view of it, uh, is cities are so unfriendly to drivers like that and saying like, well, okay, uh, I, I had a driver once who ran out of gas in the middle of the ride because all the gas stations, it, this is San Francisco, this is, well, this is like the um, like Southern Hills of San Francisco, I think. And all the gas stations are closed. And I think it was, you know, kind of a policy to, to make sure that homeless people didn't like, you know, steal gas or waste gas or something. And uh, so he had to ditch me. He felt like shit about it, but he like at least waited for me to pit, to get into another Uber, which I appreciated. Uh, but the bathroom thing just terrifies me because I, <laughs> I've, I've got a, a self-conscious tummy and I, uh, the thought of like a city really locking off your options to quickly dive into a bathroom and do your business uh, horrifies me. Yeah. 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 It, it does feel like this adversarial relationship where, um, yeah, I've heard, I've heard people say that bathrooms have gotten more closed off to everyone as a result of this new, like this huge batch of, of workers constantly like crisscrossing trying to optimize, um, uh, they're like fairs, which means, yeah, peeing in like weird places and, and pushing it way too long. Um, for a while, there was like a, a whole mechanic in the, in the real app itself around like, you couldn't, you couldn't say like no more rides after this one. They didn't have that feature. Um, so if you were riding a razor thin margin of like, you need to keep like basically a five-star rating to survive. You need like a, I think it's 4.8, um, on Uber. Um, you need to sustain that or you get automatically fired and um, you know, you can get dinged for canceling rides. So if people were like, I really need to get to bed or I really need to pee or I need to drive all the way across the bridge. Um, I think they only within the last year or so added a feature of saying like in the middle of a ride, like no new rides after this. And so you could get stuck in this loop. I remember hearing that um, from drivers where like you keep thinking, okay, this is the last one. And then you're like racing to like log out of the app and a new ride request comes in and now you have to, either cancel and ding, ding your rate, you know? So, um, but I would say that early on, what we realized was we could simulate the Uber driver experience mechanically down to an incredibly fine grained, like degree, but it wasn't going to be the kind of like uh, emotional journey that we found much more interesting in a story, you know, with, with like the ability to really focus on the characters you pick up and um, the backstory and the like character development of the protagonist and everything. So we did, we pretty early on, we're like, we have to cut a lot of this um, like simulationist uh, detail in, in service of the story. And I think I'm really happy with where that balance ended up. Yeah, no, and I uh, the the stories of the game really make it for me because it feels like a almost like a kind of like a papers please or a um, uh, you know you can name a thousand different uh, really like the uh, I know you guys kind of took up perhaps a little bit of inspiration from uh, where the water tastes like wine because you had uh, uh, separate writers um, writing some of the individual stories, right? That's right. Yeah, we had a really great, uh, like, uh, like large and diverse uh, writing team. A lot like where the water tastes, where the water tastes like wine in that respect, because we wanted each um, uh, character to feel like they had a unique voice, right? Like, um, mm -hmm. we really wanted it to feel like a big, like a city, and anyone could get into the back of your car, and of course, like, to tell the story of like a whole city through through like um, sixteen passengers um, required. Uh, a lot of different voices in the writing room. So um, 
I, I would definitely love to know, like, yeah, who I, I definitely want to know what what did you learn from kind of getting all that organized and like, wh- you know, what sort of unique experiences did all these people like really bring to the table? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, well, um, I mean, we have. I was really happy that, that our cast of characters is really diverse and like we we really tried to pay attention to. Uh, like we realized like early on, especially when the team was smaller and like whiter that we were making characters white by default. Um, mm-hmm. and just literally cause we weren't thinking about it. Um, and, or male by default, you know, um, there's a whole lot of things like that until we suddenly saw like, Oh, we have a limited number of characters we can get in this game. And so if we want diversity, we have to actually try at it. So that was something we learned like super, super early on. Um, and then, of course, that meant like hiring um, people of color to the writing team um, and and keeping our gender like balance in in like a reasonable place. And I'm really happy that we we managed to like do all of those things. And everyone, every writer brought like something really unique um, and a unique voice to the game that we wouldn't have been able to have otherwise. Um, or we have like a non-binary character in the game, and there's a non-binary character uh, non-binary well they are a real character um but there's a non-binary uh, person <laughs> on our team um and so all of these things like i don't think that you can you can write a diverse game without a without a diverse writing team you know it's like it's going to come off as strained and hokey and inauthentic um if you don't at least have some representation of um of the people like the, the like stories you're trying to tell it's kind of the eternal push and pull of a city like San Francisco. The There's the slowly edging out of the culture of the city for a much more homogenous white and, and tech affluent uh, culture. And it, it, it is harder and harder for people of color, uh, non-binary, uh, LGBT people to, to make a, a safe and comfortable living in a city like that, right? Well, what do you... Uh, Tell me before we. I, I do want to dive a little bit more into yeah how how you guys kind of brought the game together uh, in a design sense. Uh, but before we do that, I kind of have one more question about um, the the background of this. Tell me about the Uber God. <laughs> okay, so the Uber God felt like God. There's been a few a few times writing this game where I just felt like there was a I, there was a messenger sent from the universe or something and the uber god was one of these it was like maybe 9 p.m i'd ordered some bullshit i don't know sorry i don't know if i can swear on this uh i ordered some bs on uh amazon yeah you can you can you can don't don't worry worry. the fcc isn't going to take away your podcasting license good that's good um yeah so like i ordered some bullshit on amazon uh and I didn't know this is like the first time this had happened. Like I'm used to, you know, UPS drop off in the middle of the day. Um, but this dude rolls up in my driveway and I first noticed that I'm like, there's like light lights coming through my, my window. And I see this like big, like SUV with the license plate Uber God. And this dude <laughs> jumps out and he hands me like my dumb little package. It's like 9 PM. And this, mm-hmm. you know, like I, apparently I was like, Oh, Amazon is like, hiring uber drivers to like make last minute deliveries so they can you know so they can like tick the same day delivery box or whatever and i'm like dude i just got to ask you about your your license plate like are you the uber god and he's like i was i got fired this week um and i was like what he's like yeah man like uh anonymous complaints like three anonymous complaints um for what you know and he's like apparently customers have been saying i've been i've I'm drunk. I've been drinking. And he's like, I don't even drink at all. He's like, I haven't had a drink in 10 years. Um, and I think it's, I think it's because I grew my Afro out. Um, he had like some like, like pretty big, like grow, like he was like growing into having like a serious Afro. And, um, we just started talking. He's like, yeah, I think that like my passengers like look at me in a different way. Cause I'm a black, like I'm tall black dude. And now I'm growing out this Afro and he showed me his app and he had, not only did he have a five star rating, he had been on Uber as a driver for five years. He had done like 19,000 or no, 9,000, 9,600 rides, I want to say. And I saw it in the app and I was like, that was just a wake up call for me. I'm like, this 
loyalty and job experience does not mean anything to an app. You know, mm-hmm. it is literally rows in a database. And I know this because I programmed databases like this. Right. And there is no like process for him to appeal this uh, outside of like going to the courts for like discrimination. Um, there was just like, sorry, you got three anonymous uh, complaints in this series of time and your rating doesn't matter. You're like 9,000 or 19,000, whatever it was, rides don't matter. Um, and yeah, that, this, that does feel like a really different relationship between a, a worker and a job to be, um, to basically have like a faceless, uh, nameless corporation that's essentially just judging you algorithmically with no fired via your phone yeah you don't even get to you don't even get that like dread of being pulled into a manager's office yeah right so that's like part of lena our, our protagonist neocab's backstory is that she was a driver for capra which is sort of the equivalent of like a uber tesla google facebook merger um big bad and um and yeah one day she her app just says thank you for your service and then her her car drives her home and drops her off you know, the steering wheel just locks and she has to get out and the car drives away without her. Um, so, yeah, like I actually do think that this is this will happen. And it's not because I'm a tech pessimist. It's because that's what Uber and Lyft's, uh, you know, IPO documents say. It's like we're going to fire all the people and um, there will probably be a public backlash that might hurt our stock price for a while. But don't worry, we'll get through it. Um, that's like all in their filings. And it. it... You know, in the last few years, you hear more people say like, well, why, uh, why can't young millennials stick with a job or, or like work their way up through a rank? And the, the obvious answer is that none of these companies, of course, uh, even before the gig economy, no major company really looked at its employees, uh, its lower rung of employees as people or, or like a valuable thing to keep around and to build up. Right. And it feels like the the gig economy is the natural extension of that to your phone. Yeah, it it, it doesn't matter if Jim had 9,000 really great rides and made us thousands of dollars probably. These are, our system says three strikes and you're out uh, and it doesn't matter how serious or correct the or incorrect those strikes are, right? Uh, you know, what, one of the things that really struck me while playing the game um lena the character the main character has this uh basically mood ring that she actually wears on like her her wrist a bracelet uh and i forget the feel good uh feel grid yes uh and i i really like that kind of as a game mechanic because um and this kind of ties back to your experience uh, working on the the Firewatch team, I imagine. Uh, Lena is, of course, her own character. She's she's got a backstory. She is a person. She is a a woman uh, working in this very hostile environment. Uh, she's not a blank slate for me to put my like white manness on, I suppose. And yeah, and uh, so when she does have a flux in her emotions it's it's displayed the the passenger can see her getting angrier right uh tell me what that's not something that we currently have like i can't really tell what my uber driver is thinking was that more of you guys looking into like well what would the future version of this look like or uh more of a gameplay mechanic thing what what were you thinking about when implementing that and tying it back to the themes of your story yeah um great question so it was a mix of what we thought of as a really interesting uh kind of provocative sci-fi idea of what would it be like if you're your own real emotions, like the, the actual stuff that's going on in your body when you feel angry or jealous or flirtatious or chill or depressed or whatever. Like, what if that was immediately kind of broadcast out both to you and to the world, you know? Because I I, I do think, uh, it was actually an idea I had for a, in a short story or like 10 years ago. Um, it wasn't a very good story, but the idea I thought was really interesting because I know that I and, and a lot of people like we're, we become really good at, at hiding our emotions, sometimes so good at it that we hide them from ourselves. You know, like you, you can be depressed and then just say, nope, I'm going to put on a happy face. I'm going to like act like everything's OK and like maybe I'll fool everybody and maybe I'll fool myself. Like I, I think that's a choice a lot of people make just to cope with um, maybe a hard time that they're going through. Um 
And I thought it was really interesting that given that emotions are real, they're not just all in your head, they're in your body. That's where it starts from. Um, and there's like plenty of scientific research we, we delved into on this, but, but that's, that's the facts. Like emotions start in your body. Uh, we were just fascinated by the kind of cyberpunk notion of broadcasting them out. Um, and this also works uh, in a really important way for the balance of the game design, because, um, you know, we can, uh, the most cyberpunk thing we can do as game devs is like, you know, vibrate your hand a tiny bit, you know, that's, that's our interface <laughs> with the world is sound visuals and like a tiny bit of vibration. Um, so we needed some way for you to, uh, feel what Lena is feeling for it to be real. Um, and that's why we needed it to be on screen. That's why we needed to have the, the feel grid bracelet and the sort of like UI for, for moving between like complex emotion, like a complex emotional spectrum. Um, and that was important both because we think it, it ties you in more closely with, with her experience, uh, as a player, like, but also, um, it's like a backstop for the star rating system, right? So if, if Lena lives and dies by keep, by having to keep her rating at five stars, and that is in fact the only like game over state in Neocab mm -hmm. is, is a sustained sub five rating will get you terminated. Um, we didn't want to make another game, you know, we didn't want to make like um, obsequiousness simulator 2019 where you just always pick the like nice and friendly dialogue choice um, in every scenario to, to get a five star rating. Like, and, we, and we've heard that from, um, from people who like play tested the game who've worked in the service sector. They're like, Oh, I, I have to fight against myself to like, just always say the nice thing, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and the field grid kind of enforces that because we, we can show that, um, taking it on the chin or pretending you're not bothered could get you the five star rating, but it's going to like tank you emotionally, you know, it's going to make you depressed or it's going to make you angry. And then we, whoa, because it's a real gameplay system, we're able to wire in, um, that emotional state to everything else. So like Lena, the way Lena talks changes when she's blue or when she's in the red, um, the choices available to her, like choices will be blocked off based on your emotional state or new choices will be granted. So it, um, having the field grid, like unlocked all of these other interesting gameplay, uh, and story systems that all felt really unique and made us really excited. There's a there's an aspect of this that kind of feels very familiar, I feel like, to to young people um, who are much more used to uh, or, or perhaps, you know, from older millennial to younger millennial and then now Gen Z or whatever we want to call them. Uh, uh, I talked with Sam Barlow a little bit about this. Um, his game Telling Lies uh, features people who are, you know, establish real world relationships, but then they continue those relationships uh, through Skype or uh, their phone or something. And there's a performative aspect to uh, a, a marriage or a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend and some of the, the secrets that maybe we have to um, keep from our, our partners or the people that we're talking to. Uh, the best point I feel like he raised was um, if you're the one starting the call, you are kind of positioned, sitting upright, looking good. But if you're the mom uh, putting the kid to bed, you are hair, you know, harried. Uh, uh, you don't got you don't got any makeup on. Your hair is a mess, probably, and you're just like, oh hey, hi, how's it going on your phone? And uh, I feel like maybe as a society, we as younger people are perhaps a little more used to, yeah, that performative aspect of like I've got a person in my car. Uh, and I need to keep my rating up. So like, even if they're the crazy one, I have to entertain this. Right. And I feel, I feel a lot of that. Like, let me entertain this person. I really, if it gets serious, I did, I yelled at the guy who, uh, uh, I, I suspect of puking in my car. Uh, I was like, fuck that guy. Uh, he looks like a dick. I don't care what he feels. And of course my, my, my rating got tanked out. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, that plus the, uh, uh, I guess the, the quick nature of the relationships that you can build during an Uber ride right there every once in a while, you do get that Uber ride. That's like, 
hey, I really connected with this person. There was an old, there was an old Hispanic man who drove me one day. Uh, I think I was wearing like a fuck Trump t-shirt or something like that. And he was like, hey, you're my guy. And we got to talking about politics. And, you know, as I'm jumping out of the car, I'm like, hey, man, you take care. Best of luck to you. If I, if, if I could have patted him on the back, I would kind of thing. And then two ships and two ships in the night were gone. And I feel like Neocab does that really well. Do, do you, did you try to design some of those relationships that you build really quickly and then end just as quickly in the game? Did, did, was that conscious decision from you? Absolutely. Like we really wanted to capture the vibe of a late night car ride um, from really early on. Um, the two like main touch points there were um, A Night on Earth, that Jim Jarmusch movie, which follows three cabbies on three different cities on the planet on the same night. Um, there is that magic of two ships passing the night, exactly like you're saying. Like um, People feel free to open up to the right cab driver. And the right cab driver is in that position, kind of like a great bartender or or something, you know, of, of being a shoulder to cry on or a, 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 like a, a careful ear to listen. Um, and uh, yeah, the, the show Taxi, Taxi Cab Confessions in the 90s was the other one. Like, we're like, oh my God, this just, this is real. You know, like these people didn't know they were being filmed. It was like one of the first reality shows. And um, people would come out with their life story or just their night story or all their you know, it just stuff poured out of them. So we knew right away that there is a way for this like magic to happen you could, between two complete strangers. Um, but then when the other thing we figured out really early on is you, once you have made that connection, um, if it really lands for you as a player, you want, you don't want that to be it. So really, really early on, we also knew anyone who you have a strong connection with, we want to put them back on the map again in a later night, so you can um, develop that story and build that relationship. And that in many ways that became the core of the game. Like we, um, we have a framing mystery story. Uh, we have the mechanics around surviving your job, but it really became for us about um, connecting with these like lost souls in the city, helping them change and relating like your story as the protagonist um, to theirs. And so every, every different ending that the game has also has a component of like, sort of who am I going to share this with, whether it's like a good ending or a bad ending in my mind, like which of the characters have I developed the relationships enough to like, to share this with. Mm -hmm. You know, th there's a part of the game too, with uh, uh, Lena's relationship with Savvy, the friend who she meets early on and then, or well, she had a prior relationship with this friend, kind of lost contact comes to Los Ojos uh, with the intention of moving in uh, with her and then Savvy goes missing and that spurs the rest of the the mystery, of course. Uh, to me, Savvy really exemplified a lot of the like Bay Area flakiness. <laughs> um, totally. I, I, you laugh... You laugh, and boy, I can. I feel like we've got some shit to talk about. Yep. I, I, I have, I have a number of friends, you know, in the Bay Area, um, and I, and I love all of them dearly. And this is kind of more of like, I have a friend who uh, lives up there. He's in his like late thirties, and so he's he's a great guy, but he has a little bit of trouble, uh, kind of uh, getting getting friends to not flake. Basically, he talks about it all the time. And so tell me, like, what you really thought about when writing Savvy, I suppose. Yeah, so um, Paula Rogers, our uh, managing editor and writing lead, um, and I, you know, we both worked really closely on creating this character and had a few uh, friends and exes, I think, who all kind of contributed to, to this person but in many ways i think we all have had a friend like this who in some ways she burns brighter than you um mm -hmm. she's more fearless uh more daring um and that relationship of this person like taking an interest in you and and you guys getting a connection can feel very liberating at the right time in your life like especially in your teens or 20s like some being close to someone like that can kind of almost feel like um an escape or a, a way of like a new way to live. Like, could I be like that? Could I be that daring? Could I be that confident? Um, and I think we both, Paul and I formed multiple 
relationships like this. And I, that's true of the entire writing team too. Like Kim, Kim Belair, another one of our super talented writers, um, has had relationships like this. And the, the, the issue of course is like, they're often, um, unequal friendships from the, from the get go. And, mm-hmm. um, the longer that lasts, the more, um, unstable it can get, right? Where you realize, uh, do I need this person more than I need me? Uh, why do I, why do they flake on me all the time? But like the minute they text, I like drop everything to, to be there for them. Um, yep. yeah. So that, that is, that feels very real. And we, um, you know, not to spoil anything, but we, we really, um, hooked into the idea of someone who was, uh, who needed your help and was sort of ghosting you, but ultimately maybe, um, like they, they did need you more than you needed them, or, or maybe they're not healthy for you at all. Um, there's like a, yeah, there's a certain, um, gradual dawning realization with a friend like that, that something's got to change or, um, or I might have to like get out of this altogether. And, and it's tougher too, of course, when it's a, a friend that, you know, in real life, as opposed to someone who's like in your Twitter feed, you know, I've, I, I've, I've let go of someone on Twitter before just cause I'm like, I, I can't deal with the amount of like energy coming out of you, uh, for better or worse. And yeah, it doing that in real life, it's, it's, it always seems like a pretty slow, gradual process to where you have the, the wake up moment and be like, my life isn't better because this person is in it kind of feeling, uh, what um i guess where to go from there uh i guess in a way it does kind of tie into the emotional mistreatment of of workers in a in a gig economy right um i i am asking someone to come into my life for a brief period of time uh they probably the judging from like the their financial situation they must need me more than i need them because i'm the one who can afford to pay uh someone a hundred dollars to come to my house and assemble a, a dresser, which I did when I moved into LA. Uh, and maybe, maybe we just tolerate this more because we are used to it as a, a younger demographic, I suppose. What do you, what do you think? Like the connection between like the relationship between so like with gig work and with a friend or, and w- and with a friend and like, like savvy. savvy. Right. Yeah. yeah right. I suppose. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, there is a really strong parallel here. And, and that's one of the things I love about millennials um, is, uh, is they, it feels like they look at labor with fresh eyes um, in many mm. ways, because they're not used yet to the, or at least like when everyone started talking about millennials, <laughs> they're not, they weren't yet yeah. used to uh, kind of the status quo of, of how, how crappy the labor market is and was, or at least has been since the seventies. Um, and so, yeah, they would look at it the same way you look at a, um, an imbalanced friendship where you're like, wait, wait, what, why do you, why do you want me to keep coming here and like doing all the least fulfilling work for less money? Um, like, what is this internship? You're paying me an experience. Like what kind of experience? Like coffee getting experience? Um, like driving around needing a pee experience? Um, there's like that sort of, um, honesty with oneself and like, um, honesty about like the way things look or like looking around you that it feels really refreshing. Um, and for Lena in the story, we think that there's like certain endings that unlock that same sort of awareness of like, um, Neocab, I don't feel lucky to have this job anymore. Like, I'm glad, I'm glad that it's like keeping me off the streets. I'm glad like I can mm. eat, but, uh, I ha- you have plenty of opportunities in the game to see like, Oh, there's, they're getting way more out of me then um i'm getting out of them and similarly with your like supposedly best friend um that that dawning realization like oh maybe the reason she likes this relationship is because she's on the you know i'm getting the short end of the stick so um and and maybe the maybe the people i've met in my cab like all along are uh, potentially better like true friends like you know like true equal um, like mutually beneficial relationships. So, and that's, you know, what more can you want out of like a job than like a, a mutual, a mutual benefit situation where, where you're both like showing up and 
like you and your job are sort of showing up for each other. That's the dream, I think, at least. Yeah, I, uh, I, I won't spoil it for, for people who are going to play, play the game, game but there, there is definitely at least one, one sequence um, where you're kind, kind of forced, forced to make a decision of, like, who, who, who do, do I pick up in this immediate vicinity? And you have a multitude of commitments to think about. Yeah. <laughs> it was funny. funny. Actually, I accidentally, I accidentally pressed a, a, the button to, to pick up someone. And I'm like, oh, shit, who did I pick? And, and thankfully, it was the person I think I would have wanted to pick if I was, you know, thinking uh, clearly. Um, and I got a what I feel like was probably a much more meaningful conversation and got to check in with some with a character that I was like, hey, I hope you're doing OK. I know that things aren't going very well for you, but like this Uber driver here, the cab driver is hoping it goes well for you so you don't you're not completely alone in all this and i i thought that was really uh beautifully illustrated oh thank you uh as we as we kind of switch gears towards the end here uh i, I do have to ask before we transition into uh, the end here, the, I do have to ask about um, really what you kind of learned from Firewatch and working on that team, because the thing, the the parallel I begin to notice is with um, uh, Henry in that game and with Lena in this game, they are uh, the furthest thing from blank slates. There's a little bit of like leeway in terms of, well, what emotion would I kind of want them to express here? Uh, but it is it is a narrative game in which you are navigating not just the world but them as people as defined people. So uh, what what did you learn from uh, helping develop Firewatch? Wow, so much. Um, it really was such like a incredible incredible team to be a part of. I just feel so lucky. Um, I mean, I learned something from every single member of the team um, that helped me make NeoCab. Um, from like Sean Vanneman, I would say. I learned, well, I mean, wiring in his dialogue just showed the, the showed me the way a, a branching, branching fiction writer needs to think, which is like next level, 10 dimensional, you know, like chess where you're constantly thinking um, while writing of both characters, um, like brains being in multiple different states, right? Like what do they know? What don't they know? Um, uh, potential emotional shifts, right? Like, what is what does this person say if they're angry? What does this person say if if they're happy? Um, these sorts of tools are like um, it, it's something he honed for you know years and years at Telltale, and that um, I was really lucky to be able to like there, you know when I would take his like static scripts, his like um, you know he would he would write in like Scrivener, and I would have to wire it in as like a dynamic tree. There's just a like an intimate familiarity you have to get with how his brain works. That was like a really, um, yeah, was such a gift. Um, from uh, Jake, I think I learned the importance both of um, polish uh, in terms of like getting a specific uh, like piece of art or, um, or like a concept or an idea to a way where it was like really clean and well presented and like immediately translates to the player. But I also got a sense of um, like the need to like prototype and like, as he would say, like slam things into the game. Like um, he just had a, yeah, he had a real um, talent for um, uh, like hacking something workable together end to end, just so it's in the game now, even if like, you know, in some cases, like as a leader, even if no one like fully, I think was not everyone was fully bought in perhaps, but it's really hard to argue with something that exists. And so I think I got a lot from, from Jake in terms of like, you know, some, some aspects of the field grid. I think people were, uh, some folks on the team were literally like, Hmm, interesting, but weird. Do we really need this? This seems complicated, you know? And, um, sometimes like, it, I feel like it's Jake energy. It's big Jake energy to just like, uh, say no it's good I'm, I'm confident in this and i'm gonna like i'm gonna get it working and then you're gonna be able to play it and then we'll make it better you know um so and then god like everyone else is great <laughs> like i mean for, for working with like uh chris um uh he both has like really amazing taste in games but he um he was writing music for firewatch the entire time that we were developing it. and so that gave me the like confidence to, to like hire our our composer like 
super early on before we basically knew what we were doing. We were crafting like mm-hmm. the musical vibe. So um, anyway, I could go on and on and on, but Fire, the Firewatch team is amazing. They're all doing really interesting stuff now, whether it's at Valve or Unity or like on their own Lake Nels. Um, so um, yeah, like they, I, I guess like the meta part point would be permission to make a game for adults that is um, is about like adult relationships and like themes and is subtle and nuanced um like a lot of folks if you tell them what you're making like especially investors <laughs> in in video yeah. games and indie studios will say what are you talking about <laughs> you know like this isn't an art house film like where's the where's the like conflict where's the murder where's the um where's the roguelike loot collector uh uh game of thrones allegory yeah exactly so um yeah like just the that confidence to like make your thing and and hope that it finds an audience is definitely comes from campo well patrick thank you so much i really feel like i i I still have a little ways to go in neocab but um, you're really close and even so seven it's a week long and you're on night six okay yeah i i figured as much yep um uh, i feel like even though it's a topic that i am familiar with i am getting to learn more about it and and about my own feelings about it um through this really fun unique way and uh, I'm really glad it's out there and anyone listening should definitely go and play it. So, uh, thank you guys once again for listening to the 1099. Um, every Monday you can find a new episode here. Uh, go ahead and give a listen to our most recent review episode with Gamasutra's Alyssa McCallum. And if you like talk about you know, narrative stuff like you heard here with Neocab, go ahead and listen to, uh, the two weeks ago episode from, uh, Sam Barlow, the, uh, director on Telling Lies. Uh, Neocab is out now on Switch, uh, PC, and Apple Arcade, and it is absolutely worth your time. Patrick, thank you so much. Thank you, man. This is great.